there. Welcome to You're Doing Fine, Oklahoma, where we explore mysteries, hauntings, and family secrets from the great state of Oklahoma and beyond. I'm Shy. And I'm Shanna. We're wannabe mystery solvers and cousins that love to hash out our favorite whodunits during family time. Our husbands are afraid of us, as As they they should be. be. Part two. Part two. Part two. Good God. You know, if you find if you follow Chilaquil on TikTok for long enough, maybe he'll get around to learning French. Maybe. Because at this point he's almost trilingual. <gasps> I love that. Yeah. So what is he? He knows he's learning Portuguese. He's learning Portuguese currently. He knows English. And he's learning Spanish, too. I love that. Yeah. And we're all learning Spanish with him. You know, fun fact, when I was very little, um, I think I was four or five, uh, our aunt and uncle taught me and a couple of my other cousins and my sister Portuguese. Yeah, because they lived in Brazil for so long. Yeah. And we were told by our parents that we would be having um, secret Portuguese uh, conversations. conversations. <laughs> she hated that. <laughs> you know, it was probably something silly too, but I just let, I couldn't do it to save my life today. You know what? I bet if you got on a thing like Babbel mm-hmm. and started learning Portuguese again, I bet it would come back really quickly. That if it was ingrained into you that young, yeah, you probably still know some stuff that you just yeah. don't think you know. I mean, I I knew how to count to 10 for the longest time. Yeah. You know Portuguese, bitch. You're bilingual. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho's. Okay. All right. So we're part two. Let's do part two. So we're going to do a little recap just real quick. Yes. Because I know it's been, you know, seven days since the last one (laughs) for you guys. Um, So Charles Urschel, oil tycoon, Oklahoma City. He is kidnapped by MGK or... George Machine Gun Kelly. And his friend, Mr. Bates. And his friend, Albert Bates. Anyway. (laughs) With a pistol. With his pistol. His friends, Kirkpatrick, E.E. Kirkpatrick. Urschel's friends. Urschel's friends. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's fine. Urschel's friends, E.E. Kirkpatrick and J.G. Catlett, have run this ransom money from Oklahoma City to Kansas City. $200,000. Via train. But we did not tell you. What I did not tell you, and I totally forgot, is that $200,000 in today's money? Oh, yeah. Do you know how much it would be? A a shit ton. Because I do. Yeah, tell me. $4.2 million. Yeah. Because when they- shit ton of money. When they built the Marlin Mansion, wasn't it built for something like $150,000? Something like that. Or something like that? Something insane, yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah. Anyway. Marlin Mansion. If y'all have never been to the Marlin Mansion, go. There are so many, like, listen, I don't vacation in my own state a lot. Same. We'll do, like, day trips here and there to different places. But there are some cool old mansions. Mm-hmm. And most of them are oil and gas tycoon mansions. Yep. Um here in Oklahoma, one of them is the Marlin Mansion in the northern part of the state. Tulsa has a ton. A lot, yeah. 
of beautiful old homes. Oklahoma City has a ton of beautiful old homes. They're just not museums. They're not turned into museums. Right. But if you're ever on the hunt for like a really cool old house creep through, the Marlin Mansion is yeah pretty legit. It's got secret doors and like little yeah. secret pass-throughs and yeah, the family history is really yeah, interesting it was, too. It was built during Prohibition. Yeah. And so there's like these little secret doors. The kitchen that is still a functioning kitchen, you guys, is insane. It's in the cellar. It's so cool. Um, yeah, I like write up all about the Marlin Mansion and we'll have to do a story over. I know the guy, while a little shady at, you know, whatever was the sign of the times. Yeah. Um, he was very philanthropic and very much created Ponca City. Yeah. Like made it a city city. So. Yeah. Totally. Anyways, if you ever had a chance, totally go up there. It just takes a few hours to tour it. Usually get a tour guide. They're super nice locals. Um, and it'll tell you all about it. Anyway, sorry I interrupted. But $200,000 in 1933 money was how much? $4.2 million today. Today. Okay. So. Even with inflation? With our current inflation? I think so. Yeah. Sure. No, like, you're probably right. I'm just, yeah. I'm just going to go with that. Add on um, a couple mil. Just. Okay. Four point. Six point. Wow. Whatever. Anywho. Okay. So they. I know the maths. <laughs> You're really good at math. I'm really not. Okay. But I admire people who are. I wish I was like you. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Should I get it together? So, as I stated in the last episode, Charles is back home. He has been released. Walk through the door like nothing happened. Walk through the door like, hey, Bernice. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. <laughs> I'm tired as fuck, but I'm alive. And maybe a little traumatized. I mean. But I'm alive. Yeah. Okay. He would. The story I'm going to share with you is his his retelling of his um, kidnapping of the days that followed. He was there for 12 days. Um, and so, uh, 12 days held captive. Charles would tell the story of how he basically made mental notes, observed everything he could, left his fingerprints everywhere like bananas. So here we go. He stated that shortly after Jarrett was released, they would blindfold him with some cotton, a bandage, and tape. Okay. okay. Around an hour later, he said they either passed through two small oil fields or the end of two large ones. So, like, either two small ones that were close together uh -huh. because of this... Or two large ones, the end of one, the start of another type of thing. Because he could smell gas yeah. and he could hear the pumps working. Yeah. So one or the other, like it's one of these two guys, sorry. The first thing he remembers uh, being made was the morning of around, it was around 3.30 in the morning, sorry. At this point, he was taken out of the car, 
and walked into some brush along the side of the road while with one of the captors while the other drove down the road to get gas oh okay okay so this was a few hours later about 15 minutes after being left on the side of the road hiding in some brush the other man would come back about 15 minutes so drove down nearest town came back an hour later they would stop to open a gate and about three minutes after that, another gate. So he was hearing all of this. He couldn't see anything. He was hearing these sounds. Okay. Okay. Shortly after the second gate, they drove into what Charles thought to be a garage. All right. Okay. While inside this building, this garage, whatever, he would describe what sounded like the men changing license plates from one car to another. Okay. Right? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. He was then taken out of this car that they took him in and placed in this other car where they had fashioned a bed for him. All right. And told him... To lie down, like lay in the bed, cover yourself up, don't be seen, basically. They left as soon as all of this was done. Doesn't know the time frame of change, arriving in this garage, Change changing the plates. license plates, changing Charles from car A to car B, and they leave. They pull out in a different car. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was talking a lot of shit on this being a disorganized, organized crime, but I'm kind of like, maybe I misunderstood the assignment because, okay, maybe he was a little overhyped, but maybe MGK actually did have it together. We shall see. Okay. <laughs> I mean, no, it's... It, it's gonna, it just keeps it just keeps going, Shan. So we'll see. Okay. They stopped one time for gas on this trip in the second car. It was a woman car attendant. So back then they had people, the attendants that pumped your gas, right? Right, right. He could hear one of the men make a conversation with this woman about the crop conditions. Which she replied, and this is quotes, the crops around here are burned up, although we may make some broom corn. Mm -hmm. He's remembering this from 12 days ago. This is the first night he's kidnapped. He's remembering. Just keep this in mind as we're going along. He's remembering these things. Okay. With his eyes covered. Broom corn. I'm on it. Broom corn. <laughs> Around 9 or 10 that morning, he stated it started to rain, like heavy rain. And at one point, the roads became very slippery. And one of the men had to get out and push the car. On this second trip, he stated they were never on pavement. So they got stuck in a, on dirt, a dirt road. On a dirt road. Okay. Yes. 
The next stop would be in another garage-type situation. And at this point, Charles would ask for the time. And they was like, yeah, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. Like they're, they're like, sure. Like, sure. Yeah, maybe the time. He was then uh, walked outside, through a gate, and along a boardwalk. Okay. A boardwalk? A boardwalk. This is his retelling of it. This is what it sounded like to him. Because, again, he is blindfolded. His eyes are covered. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. While in the house, he would be put in a room and told there were two beds. And he could tell that his bed was an iron cot. What is an iron cot? I don't, I think, you know, like a cot, like you use when you go like camping or whatever. When I go camping. (laughs) Okay, the campers out there, you know what a cot is. This Back then, they were like old iron and squeaky. Like, I'm guessing there was like squeakiness. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry. When I go camping. That's adorable. I know. I forgot. I forgot <laughs> that you're not the camping type. It's no. fine. He could hear a man and a woman talking, but then... Cotton was then placed over his ears and taped. So now he can't see and he can't hear. Oh, man. Yes. Okay. All right. He was held in this house for the rest of that day. So this is now a full, like, day. 24 hours after he was kidnapped. Yes. Because he was kidnapped late at night. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The next day, he was taken to a home about 15 minutes away. And at this home, he was fed. They fed him. He was fed at a table, not in, in a room on a cot or anything. He could hear farm animals outside. And... After eating, he was led to another bedroom, and this time he was told to lay on a pile of blankets in the corner of the room. Okay. Okay. He was also handcuffed to a chair, but this is where he stayed, all right? The next day, MGK and Albert asked Charles if he had a friend in Tulsa that he, that could be trusted. And this would be J.G. Catlett. Okay. The guy that received the first letter. Okay. He then goes, goes on to say that two more men would join M.G.K. and Albert. And Charles would describe them as an old man and a younger man. Okay. So this at this point they have asked him to write these letters. I'm assuming because it doesn't ever say what day he was actually like the blindfold was taken off or the stuff over his ears. Yeah. So I'm assuming the day he wrote the letters, which would have been around like the 24th, around that time, 23rd, 24th, the blindfold was taken off as well as the covering of his ears. 
but he did say that at one point, one of the kidnappers didn't say who would talk about Bonnie and Clyde like they were just a couple of cheap filling stash and car thieves. Filling station. So why does I say stash? <laughs> filling station car thieves. Wow. So mm-hmm. these people are talking shit on Bonnie and Clyde? Yes. That's rich. Yeah. Because if you'll remember, this was during Bonnie and Clyde's like, heyday. heyday. Yeah. They didn't come to blows with the <laughs> FBI until the 1934 is when, yeah. they were, when they were killed. And this was in 33. So this was their heyday. Like they were... They were like public enemy number one, and they're talking shit on them. So. Um, okay. I mean. I feel like they're trying to make themselves out to be these really bad people. Like, they have some work to do. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, I I know it's not, like, cool to, like, kidnap people or whatever, but it really doesn't feel like it was that bad of an experience mm-hmm. in relative to like oh yeah sure being thrown in a pit and starved for a week and a half right it really doesn't feel like it was that bad of an experience and honestly it just feels like they were going from farm to farm where they were just going through their network of rum runners Mm -hmm. of people that they probably had like whiskey stills stashed at and shit like that where they would go pick up rum and haul it to the next farm and like yeah distribute from all these distribution points. Right. It's like people they knew. Right. That were feeding this millionaire mm-hmm. and letting him have a bed in their home or whatever. And I mean, am I crazy? Right. No, I, the whole time I was reading it, I was like, man, he kind of he got, got off easy. easy. Yeah. yeah. Because he didn't even say, like, they pistol whipped him or anything. Mm-hmm. Nope. I, like, he got fed and they gave yeah, him they, water. They just dragged him along for the ride, basically. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. So. he's He writes this note to Catlett. Yeah. So this time the note's being written. The kidnappers are, tall- are making up this m- amazing plan to get this $200,000 to them in Kansas City. And they've got – they have this huge plan, right? So all of this is going on, as well as Charles in this room trying to just take in as much as he can. On the 28th of July, one of the men returned to the home with a chain. And so they, like, kind of extend his means of mobility. So he can can get up and walk around. Get up and walk around. Yes. Um. He was then able to see out the little window he had in this room. He uh, saw chickens and cows and hogs. And one of the men even told them that he had four milk cows. All right. Another thing that Charles would notice was that every day a plane would pass over the home at 945 in the morning and 545 in the afternoon. Okay, he still had his watch, so he was taking time by his watch, like when this plane. And would at come this over. point, he has the blindfold off because he's completely chained. Yep. Okay. Yes. So he's just like, yeah, like, checking the time, notating patterns. Yep. <sighs> okay. I know. Like he, you got to have something to do, right? You're just sitting there. On the morning of July thirtieth, 
it was raining really hard and he didn't hear any planes go over that day. So he made a mental note of that. Okay. All right. Water was given to him. He was given to him in this old little tin cup. And he was able to observe the people going out to this well behind the house. And it was one of those bucket pulleys. Yeah. So he could, and it was super loud pulley. Well, it was a bucket and a pulley. Oh. So it was like, drop the bucket into the well and And then then pull it. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. I I love your your sound effects there. (laughs) And do it again. (laughs) (laughs) So he made a mental note of that. Like, this is coming from this very loud water system pulley. And it had a lot – the water was – it tasted – or how am I trying to – how am I trying to say it? It was very minerally, like had a lot of minerals in the water, right? Sure. Yeah. Well water. Yep. Well, during this time, as we know from episode one, Catlett and Kirkpatrick had gotten the letter, had done what they needed to do with the ad in the Daily Oklahoman, and were on their way to deliver this ransom money, right? They were ready to get their friend home. Okay. Okay. Well, on Monday, the 31st of July, one of the kidnappers comes back to the house and told Charles he was being released, but they would leave um, – they wouldn't leave until a certain time. Uh-huh. So he's like, cool. Okay. All right. They stated that they would be – there would be two cars. He would be in one, and they would have a pilot car. So as to, you know, kind of change it up in case they thought they were being followed. Well, they take off. They head towards Norman. And in Norman, he was basically kicked out of the car, given $10, and told to find his way home. (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Right? It's like a movie. Okay, so where do you think they were? Are you going to tell me where they were, yeah. or do we have to speculate? No, I mean, you can okay, speculate. You can totally, like, what's your idea? Where do you think he was? I think he was kept somewhere out, like, by Shawnee. Somewhere, like, out past Shawnee. Okay. Like, east, eastern Oklahoma, but not so far eastern Oklahoma. Because, obviously, it didn't take him that long to get back to... The Oklahoma City area, like Norman isn't that far away from Oklahoma City. And it did not take them that long to get to any one place. They were just kind of hopping from like farm to farm. And it sort of seems like they were driving uh, to different areas to make him feel like they were going a long ways away. Mm -hmm. But they weren't. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. That's just my speculation. I love that. I love that for you. (laughs) However, no. (laughs) However, you're wrong. It is wrong. All right. So they get all of this information from Charles. FBI does. So from this point, they're then going in and like, okay, so let's piece together all of the things he's heard, what he saw, and let's see what we can come up with. So they first – Started with the plane, mm-hmm. right? So they got this 
plane schedules of all planes flying within a 600-mile radius of Oklahoma City. Jesus. All right. Okay. It was determined that planes leaving from Fort Worth in the morning and planes leaving from Amarillo in the afternoon would be close to a town at these two certain times in Texas. The town was Paradise, Texas. Random. Where is Paradise, Texas? I'm so glad you asked. Okay. Paradise, Texas is northwest of Fort Worth and southeast of Wichita Falls. <gasps> okay. Mm-hmm. Fair yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The day that he didn't hear the plane go over, the day of the storm, it had left late from Fort Worth. And because of the storm, not only leaving late, it flew further north to avoid the storm. So it don't, didn't go in its regular pattern. Exactly. Okay. So they were like, ha, Paradise, Texas, let's take a trip. They actually drove a really far, like a long mm-hmm. way. Yeah, they to did. To take him quite a long way. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Okay. So I looked at Paradise, Texas. It's just a little, it's literally around today around 475 people Mm, so mm -hmm. a tiny i don't think that in the 30s it was much more than that it's mainly a farming community Mm -hmm. um, and it was very much a farming community back then and so through their investigations they were led to one farm in particular, in Paradise, and that was a farm owned by Robert Boss Shannon. His street name was Boss? No, actually, his mom gave him that name. Oh. Uh-huh. That's what I thought, too. I was like, oh, this guy's got a street name, too? No, his mom gave him that name. He was like one of six kids, and I guess he was just the bossy one. Oh, his mom gave him that name. But still, I mean, I it's kind of a badass that name. That would have been my choice for a... Street name. Right. For my gangster name. Right. Yeah. Okay. We're going to call him Boss just because. <gasps> I wonder. <gasps> Boss Hog. Do you remember in. <laughs> the the Dukes of Hazard? Yeah. I yeah. never watched it, but. Oh, God, I did. <laughs> it was before my time. <laughs> okay. Thanks for that. <clears throat> Anyway, (laughs) all right, so back to Boss and his farm. This farm, he had been on this farm the majority of his life. He unfortunately had been widowed twice by 1930. So his first wife died at a young age of like 23, and he went on to marry his wife's sister, (laughs) who also died at a very young age. But they had four children, or he had four children from these two women. Well, as they did back then, you know, to have a mom for their children. Of course. And to have a father for the children. And farm life was hard. Super hard. Women on a farm, that's a hard life. And so as I was reading, I was like, okay, what was going on in the 19, around 1930 that was, you know, farm life was hard, which was... The Dust Bowl. Yeah. Dirty 30s. Yeah. And also the economy was super bad. Yeah. And it, we just come out of a war. So yeah. all these things, plus- Probably how he was getting people to like be on his rum running circuit. 
We're going to get there. Sorry. No, that's fine. You're fine. He would end up marrying a woman by the name of Aura Brooks. Aura had grown up actually in a very prevalent family in Coleman, Texas, had previously been married. And from that marriage, one child was born and her name was Catherine. (gasps) Catherine Thorne. The same Catherine that gave MGK his moniker. Yes. Yes. So they were just kin. They were kin. They were all kinfolk. Okay. It was her mom's farm. Well, her mom's husband's farm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, a little bit about Catherine. So I told you that she kind of led the life of crime as well. Catherine's first marriage to her first or her first marriage was at the age of 14. Oh. And by 15, she was already a mom. Oh. And this child's name was Pauline. That would be the only child she would have. She would end up marrying another man by the name of Ellie Brewer that would end in divorce. Um, the first the first man she married, his name was Lonnie Fry. That one ended in divorce. Then there was this Ellie Brewer, also ended in divorce. And then she would marry a man by the name of Charles Thorne. Charles, from the history of what you can read on him, he was the one that actually got her into the criminal life. He was a bootlegger, um, also bank robber, kind of just no good. But he was also supposedly illiterate and couldn't read. However, he was found with a gunshot wound to the head um, with a typewritten suicide note next to him. Sure. As you do. When you're illiterate. Sure. Uh Uh-huh. So. It actually makes sense because he didn't kill himself. That's why it. Exactly. But back then, because there was a note. Yeah, they were like. Oh, 100%. They were like, boom, note. Yeah. Case closed. Died by suicide. Yep. It's this. This is what it is. Totally. Okay. Yep. Not long after this death, Catherine would then marry George Kelly. And she would be the one that would give him his first machine gun. It was believed that. Her and George would actually practice shooting this machine gun at Boss's farm. Okay. And this is where he became really good at shooting his machine gun. Uh, There are rumors. I don't know if they're true, but this is where he got good enough to, like, um, fire the machine gun to write his name. Like, you know, you see him in those old, like. Oh, uh that's a career aspiration, actually. I mean, so like he fired his name in the side of a barn or whatever. Okay. So this is where he was like getting this, whatever. He was getting his name for him. I love that for him. I know, right? <sighs> well, <laughs> so MGK and Catherine Thorne and Mr. Bates were getting really bored with bank robbery. Like it just wasn't where it at, was at. Even though these bank robberies, they were getting around twenty to seventy thousand dollars at a time at each bank robbery, and I'm like, can you believe that? What do you think they were doing with it all? 
I think it was all going back into bootlegging. I really do. Yeah, but at that point, you're making more money on robbing banks than you are on bootlegging. Like, you can't be making that much more money on bootlegging that you're reinvesting the profits from bank robbery. Shan, when... I need to see the books. I'm just saying, bootlegging was a big thing, especially during Prohibition, because, I mean, everybody wanted alcohol. Like, Well, yeah, but like... And these rich people were probably paying really good money for this alcohol, you know? Like, even poor people, they were... They needed alcohol so bad, they were even making that alcohol that would kill them instantly, remember? Yeah, the grain alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see how it would be kind of a... Lucrative deal. Yeah. I need to see the books. I really need more... um, I need more information before I decide if I want to go into bank robbery or bootlegging. Right. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I'm just going to say, you know... Maybe they were like um, a Robin Hood type of situation. And come on, robbing the rich to save the poor. I don't know. We all know that is not the case. I don't know. No one is accusing them of being altruistic in their motives. Uh, you know, you never know, Shan. And I'm not saying you have to be. Like, you don't have to be. I'm just curious about the overall like return on investment. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I need to know before I declare a major. Uh, okay. <laughs> We can do some more digging. Uh, I should have went into, but again, yeah. What other rabbit hole? Then can we I would go have down? part three on the benefits of bootlegging right? in the nineteen thirties. You know, I just wonder. I just wonder if anyone in our families, which it was rumored that, I think that my grandpa on my dad's side that he did some bootlegging at one time, or it was rumored. If I'm getting that right, I don't know. But I, I'm like, who in our family? You know what I mean? It, it'd be fun to know. Anyways. Uh, I don't know about any of that. Yeah. I mean. My Grammy used to tell me about the Dust Bowl and stuff like that. But. Yeah. I don't remember any. She never would have told me she was Church of Christ. She never would have told me if anybody in her family is bootlegging. Oh. I'll yeah. tell you that. Yeah. True. But. Man. I know. Maybe I should have asked more probing questions. Right. I was really interested in the World War II history and like the Dust Bowl history, but I did not ask the right questions. No. I should have asked if anybody was running liquor. Right. <sighs> Damn it, Shanna. What I really missed out really on an did. opportunity you, for family history. You really did. It's fine. Man. It's fine. It's okay. <sighs> those, those stories are lost forever. It's whatever. It's fine. <laughs> okay. So, bored with all the bank robbery bored with bootlegging, they decide to try their hand at kidnapping. Okay. It feels like they did a good job. Well, it was said that Catherine was the one that's actually the mastermind behind this. And George was just kind of the, like, she was the brains, he was the bronze type of thing. Right? Well, his, his name is Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> I mean, I know. What was the expectation? I, they wanted people to think he was a badass. Well, and that's what he got. I know. He he. I feel like accomplished. She, I feel like she could have done better at being like, "Yeah, it was all me." I, whatever. Ah, it's fine. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's also said that she found um, Charles Urschel. Urschel? Like, 
in the society pages. Oh, so she picked him out. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it was her idea. This is the man we're going to take. This is our plan. All right? Okay. So all that went down. So agents needed to confirm that it was actually Boss's farm that the trio took Charles to. So on December, uh, excuse me, October 10th, agents disguised as bankers wanting to loan um, to the landowners in the area, wanting to loan them money, uh, would arrive at Boss's farm. And they would take in and look around the farms and see if anything they saw or heard checked these boxes. Oh, like they're like four milk cows. Check. Check. Thirteen chickens. Check. Check. A really loud water well. Check. Check. We happen to be here at 9.35 in the morning and I can hear this plane go over. Check. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. I... I, I know. I I respect it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so once they arrived at the property, they noticed all the similarities. They also decided to visit Boss's son. His name was Armin Shannon. Visited him his home, which was a mile down the road. Uh-huh. Okay. There, they were able to find... A water well with a very loud pulley system, as well as an iron cot in the house. Okay. Okay. After seeing all of these similarities, checking all those boxes, they decided to raid. Okay. They were going to raid the farm. Sure. Okay. You got to. Right? Well, so on the morning of August 12th, the property was raided. Well, Charles Urschel was like, I want to go. And they were like, yeah, come on, buddy. You just come right along. Lord Jesus. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Because he, he wanted to put eyes on the stuff he saw and, like, actually point the finger. Like, that's, that's the person. That's, there's the cow that I saw every day outside the window. That type of thing. There's the cup they gave me. Yeah. So he went. Um, okay. Yeah. So once there, he was like, yep, yep. This is it. This is it. Turns out that boss and his son Armin were the old man and younger man that he talked to. Okay. Right? They were the ones that kind of watched over him. And fed him. And fed him. And gave him water. Mm-hmm. And gave him a soft place to mm-hmm. sleep. Yep. So, Robert Boss Shannon, or a Shannon, and Robert's son, Armon, were all arrested. While they were doing this raid, they also uh, found a man by the name of Harvey J. Bailey. Bailey had um, escaped from a Kansas prison. And in the escape, there was a gunfight. He had been shot in the leg. So he was hiding out on this farm. Okay? 
Bailey was supposed to serve like a 10 to 50 year sentence for bank robbery in Kansas and was uh, was also wanted in connection to like a murder of five different people. Okay. Okay. They also found $1,100 total on him. 700 of those dollars were the marked bills from the ransom. Where'd the other 200000 go? It's a good question. <laughs> okay. He was also um, holding onto a machine gun that, when traced, was MGK's machine gun. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who else has a machine gun at this point? Apparently, it wasn't uncommon. Like, all the gangsters had them, didn't they? Oh, I don't know. In my mind, like, oh, that's all I see gangsters having is these machine guns. Oh. Yeah, I guess you're probably right, but. I don't know. Okay. No, I guess you're, yeah, you're probably right, though. I just didn't think about it. It's okay. (laughs) It's fine, you know. (laughs) Well, MGK, Catherine, Catherine Thorne, and Bates had already left the farm. Of course. They weren't there. Of course not. Mm-hmm. Charles would go on, like I said, confirmed everything, identified the man by their voices, and that then once questioned the Shannon, so Boss and Aura both admitted to holding him captive, and that uh, MGK and Bates were the kidna- kidnappers. Uh, okay, but so what happened to the Shannons? Okay, I'm getting ready to tell you. Okay, tell me. Okay. Because I'm, I have a deep concern about this family that owned a farm during later Depression era and then Dust Bowl era mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. I'm very concerned about them. Yeah. Actually. So, and that's a good, like, a good question because, um, during that time, when what am I trying to say? Farms were doing bad, yeah, right? Real bad. They weren't doing so good during prohibition. Farmers would allow these bootleggers and these criminals because it was very much the hardworking man against the government in these times. Mm-hmm. Um, they would let these men come and stay on their property at their farm. Um, And most of the time, these criminals would give them money. And this money was helped, I mean, was used to help sustain these farms. So it wasn't uncommon for them. Um, So that's that's what Boss did. Like he, this was a a normal or... He was part of the network. Yes. He was part of the network of... Running run. Run 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 yeah. runners, bank robbers. Like he was part of this network of criminals. He wasn't really doing anything r- super wrong. Like he wasn't hurting anyone. He wasn't Correct. doing anything. He was just taking a little bit of money off the side for all these enterprises. Yeah. He was one of the men that was looking over Charles too and like guarding him type of situation. Um but it was very much like, yeah, basically, I'm just letting you use my home as 
a that's sash way house. To stick it to the man type of yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's see. Where was I? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, you're fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I just need to know what happened. Yeah. So they so all of the bills, because they were marked, right? They were all recorded. Right. They they were able to kind of follow the path of this trio. Uh, August 12th, Bates was arrested in Denver, Colorado for a separate crime, like a local crime there in Denver. And when arrested, found $660 of the ransom money. So that's how much we've got now. 1360 Yeah. That's accounted for. Okay. Okay. There's a whole nother section of what MGK and Thorne did with this money that could have turned again. This could have been a three-parter because there's a whole nother section of things that they did with this money uh-huh. that brought in 12 more people. I just couldn't. I was like, I can't. I I can't go there. I don't. But I they're just to... hauling people in right and left. Right and left. Like they're helping. They're helping this gangster out or this criminal. And then they're laundering the money through this whatever. So right. it, it was all like Shan. I couldn't. I couldn't. It was like a train wreck. I just had to keep going. But then at the same time, I was like, I have to keep this a certain whatever. Whew. So we're just staying on the track here of what happened to these people. Right. Money is gone for the most part. All right. Unfortunately, though, one of these people that they pulled in happened to be MGK's ex-brother-in-law. Remember, he was married at one time. He called up this brother-in-law, said, hey, we need a place to stay. The brother-in-law was like, hey, yeah, cool. I've got this friend who's on vacation. You can stay at his house. And once there, pulling him into now this um, scheme and implicating him, he had this ex-brother-in-law run errands for him. So now he's abetting and aiding, right, Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. fugitives. Well, they would end up getting caught at this friend's house. All right. Thus, (laughs) making the ex-brother-in-law lose his law license and also spend time in prison. I hate when that happens. I know, right? So, yeah. So on September 26th. They would be found at this friend's house, friend of a friend. Uh-huh. They were both arrested without incident. Um, it was also, there's a big rumor, which I'd never heard this before, but there's a big rumor that he had stated because he didn't have his machine gun on him and he wasn't armed, that he said, hold on, G-men, I'm not armed or something like that, right? <laughs> this thus giving the movie thus giving J. Edgar Hoover's FBI guys the name of G Men. Mm-hmm. It did not come from MGK. Okay, so I don't know where it came from, G Men, but probably from J. Edgar Hoover. Let's just be honest. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, 
J. Edgar Hoover was following the case, even though he wasn't there in person. He was there in spirit, right? Um, <laughs> Stop it. Stop. <laughs> he wanted to make sure that everyone involved was prosecuted for the kidnapping of Charles Urschel. 21 people would end up being prosecuted. Six of them would receive life sentences. <gasps> Who all received life sentences? Did any of the Shannons? Yes. Oh. Yep. That's so, sort of sad, actually. Robert Shannon, boss, Robert Boss Shannon, Aura Shannon, Catherine Thorne, obviously, MGK, Albert Bates, again, obviously, obviously. Yeah. And then Harvey Bailey, who was the the man found. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, outlaw. They were all given life sentences. The other 15 people involved were given various sentences um, for harboring. Some of them were just like parole. Some of them were, you know, a few years in prison. Also, again, you can go through all the court docs for all of those people on what they did to help. So was Machine Gun Kelly held in prison here in Oklahoma? No. Did so, he go to federal prison? Yeah. Because it was a kidnapping? Yep. Okay. So, and I'm glad you said that. Because of the um, the amount of kidnappings that were happening and because of also Lind- the Lindbergh baby, there was um, um, a, a, law, a federal law that stated if a kidnapped victim was taken across state lines, it then became a federal issue. Yeah. And thus the FBI was involved, right? Yeah. So, yes. And that's so typically this, the case is if, mm-hmm. if there's interstate crime, yes. the feds handle it. Yes. And well, this part for the kidnapping was because of this time era. So, um, because they were taken to Texas, it became a, a federal crime. So, um. <clears throat> Boss, uh, sentenced to life, was granted a pardon in 1944 by President Franklin Roosevelt due to ill health. Oh. Okay. All right. Albert Bates would serve time in Alcatraz and would complain to the warden (laughs) about the pesky visitors like the government agents that wanted to know where the rest of the ransom money was. (laughs) <laughs> and Come he never on. told them. Never told them. Come on. Bates ended up dying in 1948 of heart failure. George Machine Gun Kelly would spend time at both Alcatraz and Leavenworth. Mm. Okay. He would die on his 59th birthday on July 8th of 54 in Leavenworth of okay. heart disease. No one from his family would claim the, his body. So Boss, being this per- nice person he didn't need to be, um, decided to bring his remains back to Texas. And he's actually buried near this farm in Paradise, Texas. Machine Gun Kelly is. I wonder if the money stayed in Paradise, Texas. I wonder if it did, too. I don't know. I'm Maybe. curious. Maybe. Boss would end up passing away only um, two years later in a hospital in Texas. Okay. Boss's son, 
Armin, who was the he was the first one to really cooperate with the FBI, like, oh shit, I don't need to be a part of this, was given 25 years probation. Uh, yeah. And was allowed to return to this to the farm to be with his family. He would end up marrying three times and have seven children, but would remain on the farm until his death in 1968. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Aura and Catherine were paroled, same time, same year, and returned to OKC, where Catherine started to go. She went back to her birth name, which was Cleo. So she started to go by Cleo. They both ended up working as book, excuse me, bookkeepers at the Oklahoma County Poor Farm, which I, I don't What is that? I don't know. I don't know. I think it was like a mental institution. Okay. Until Aura's death, Aura, Aura was the mom. Right. In 1980, at the age of 92. Damn. Right? Catherine would die five years later at the age of 81. Mm-hmm. Wow. Both in OKC. They are now buried in the Tecumseh Cemetery. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another little fun fact that this just kind of blew my mind. There is, um, I think, a book about Machine Gun Kelly and... While writing this book about the kidnapping of Charles, Arthur Stanley Hamilton discovered that Charles had anonymously funded Catherine's daughter, Pauline. Remember, she had that one daughter. Yeah. Funded her whole college education. The funds were paid through the judge that sentenced all these people. And, um, it wasn't found out until later that Charles had paid the judge to pay the college, like all these money. So it would be done an- uh, anonymously and no one would know. What happened to Pauline? Pauline. So Lynn, where's Pauline? Pauline, I think, passed away. She has since passed away, but she went on to, you know, just live a normal life. Yeah, I know. Charles Urschel ended up passing away in 1970, only outliving his wife, Bernice, by four months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yes. This was a fucking ride, dude. Right? That was bananas. I literally loved, loved, loved this story. This is the kind of stuff that I can get into. Yeah. Because it's so old mm-hmm. and everything you envision is like in black and white. Yep. And the old cars. And this is the kind of story I like because no one really got hurt. Right. There exactly. was a financial aspect. Right. But no one really got hurt. No. Like, I'm not saying everybody go out and kid- kidnap people. That's not what I'm saying. No, we don't know about the, like, physical or uh, mental trauma that he may have went no. to just from the whole situation of being killed captive. But physically, he was not yeah. hurt. No one was killed. Um, they just wanted money. And they got a lot of it for the times. Yeah. Yeah. It was. So- that's why I liked this so much. This I was like. This is crazy. This is insane. Yeah. Yeah. 
That was a good one. I know, right? That was a really good two-parter. I want to find more of these types of stories. I don't think there are many more like this, but... (sighs) There's got to be something out there that's bananas. I mean, I know we've had... That we haven't found yet. Right? I I mean, I know we had like... um, Back in the Wild West days, we had some of that stuff go through Oklahoma. But there's not a lot written on it. And I don't know. This was just his retelling of every – and he said to the FBI agent – he had, like, notes on the time uh and notes on, like, we were not on a paved road. We were obviously on a dirt road. and We got stuck in the mud and – whatever and he was like i left my fingerprints everywhere i could so when they dusted that place down yeah they're like and boom and boom and they're yeah yes like he (sighs) knew what to do like he was an og og true crime oh yeah 100 percent. he was reading those old magazines about crime i bet (laughs) i bet he was probably so he was yeah so Anyways, wow, that's the amazing story of the kidnapping of Charles Urschel, very rich oil tycoon in Oklahoma City in 1933. Wow. Right. That was a good one, Shy. Thanks, Shan. Good job. Thanks. If you've enjoyed this episode or you're just really optimistic that we'll only get better from here, like, subscribe, follow You're Doing Fine Oklahoma on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at You're Doing Fine OK Pod. That's you are underscore doing underscore fine underscore OK underscore pod.